0: 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, during the newscast, I was listening to the uh, your story about Liam Neeson. Uh, matter of fact, I, I sent out a tweet about this earlier today. We're going to talk about that story in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. But long story short, he, he's out promoting whatever his latest movie is, where it's another one of these kind of death wish, wish Type of movies. It's a Liam Neeson movie, right? It's right. It's it's not the Taken series, but it's kind of like that. Yeah. But but he he goes off on this riff, which is being described as a personal racist revenge fantasy, where he talks about how at some point in time in his life, because somebody close to him was assaulted by a black person, he was roaming the streets looking to inflict harm on black people. Yeah. My my, my overall take on this is, you know, I, I call it oversharing. Just just because somebody asks you a question doesn't necessarily mean you have to erp up answers to this. And maybe maybe that's a story that he would have been better off keeping to himself. You yeah, think?
1: Yeah, he's he's trying to he's trying to come back around and
0: and save a little face now. I know that. I, well, I mean, it, so um, let me just give you some. F- from some free advice. For example, Eric, if you're ever doing an interview and somebody says, so, have you ever worn ladies' clothes and dressed and danced around? Even if the answer is yes, <laughs> I would say maybe just kind of keep that to yourself, you know? Just, Good advice, thank you. That, that, is, that is what I'm here for. We're going to talk about that whole thing in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. Well, I mean, really, it's, it's always amazing to me what... As somebody who has worked in this industry for a couple decades now, every once in a while, there'll be a story, and I'm amazed the reporters will go out, whether it's TV reporters or radio reporters, and they'll camp on somebody's doorstep, and they'll ask them questions, and people just feel compelled to answer I mean which is one of my rules of life that you know just because WTMJ sticks a microphone in your face doesn't necessarily mean you have to share you might want to think about what you say beforehand and I would again lump this Leon Neeson thing into one of those categories we're gonna talk about that in the two o'clock hour of the program if you follow me on Twitter it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a series of um, uh, tweets about some of the things that we are going to be talking about in addition just got the numbers back uh you can go to our mobile application page you can subscribe to the podcast and uh lots and lots of people did that in january and i very much appreciate that all right this is i I get these requests all the time people number one they want to know what my wife looks like all right so occasionally you know we post photos like on twitter and stuff of us doing things there was one when we were on vacation last week from from florida but the question I, I get second most perhaps is that dog you talk about, what, what does your dog look like? You know, what does Sasha look like? Well, there um if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, um, sent out a tweet today and the even though Sasha is not part of the story That, that's, that's my dog right there. So if you want to see what, if you want to see what my dog looks like, just check it out on the Twitter page. You can follow me again. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, that's, that's a picture. That's one of my favorite pictures of her. She's under a, she's under a table in, in my old house. So, but kind of cute. So if you want to see what Sasha looks like, it's up there. Now you might ask me, okay, Jeff, why are you posting a picture of your dog other than the fact that, you know, people might be interested? Well, because it all ties into what I want to talk about with you first. I I love dogs. I, I do. I do. And I think there's no, – I, I look forward every day to you know coming home at the end of the day and I I come in and the, the dog is there and she's glad to see me it's like unconditional love she is happy to see me and it doesn't matter whether I've had a great day or a crummy day she is glad that I am there and she's glad to see me and it brings joy to my heart now having said that I I do leave her at home during the day I don't think it's appropriate, not that it's not allowed, but I also don't think it's appropriate to to take her to work. She would probably like nothing better than to be sitting on my lap right now while I'm doing the the radio show for, you know, three hours, and she'd probably be pretty well behaved. But I, I just, I guess I just don't think it's appropriate to take her to work in large part because. Well, you know, you have to pay attention to her. I mean, that's you can have the best dogs in the world, but you have to pay attention to her. And I I just, there's a place for pets, and I don't believe the workplace is that place. Now, I'm accepting, of course, you know, service dogs. I, I understand that's a whole different story. But I'm talking about your average pet I don't think belongs in the workplace. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who is a huge pet lover. Well, let me tell you the story. Shortly, you will be able to see dogs start roaming the halls, this is the way the State Journal reports it, of Madison City County building. Madison City and Dane County employees who work in downtown Madison will be able shortly to bring their dogs to work with them after a joint city-county committee approved the policy. They decided to do this because dogs in public spaces or work settings have become more common. Now, I I understand, for example, I was in Florida last week and a lot of the outdoor cafes, you know, people brought their dogs. But again, they were the patrons this applies to the employees the hippy-dippy aging mayor of Madison Paul Soglin requested the policy change the new rule doesn't apply to members of the public with build business in the building so let's say you have something you need to do at the city county building um, you've got your dog unless it's a service dog you can't bring your dog into the building but The employees will be able to do that. The policy change follows a survey in which more than 54% of city employees said they supported a change. Hundreds of comments with the survey, city employees who favored the policy, said dogs decreased employee stress in pet-friendly places where they had previously worked or they knew friends who had worked in dog-friendly businesses with positive experience. Others said the presence of dogs boosted morale or would increase city employee retention by making it a more attractive employer. All right. The rules are dogs in the building can't be left alone. So that means you've got to take your dog with you wherever you go. Dogs must be housebroken, That's nice. Free of fleas and be licensed and vaccinated. All right. Let's open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right. This is coming from me as a pet lover. All right. I think it is crazy to allow people to bring dogs into a workplace like this, you know, a, a public office building now, there might be certain workplaces where it really doesn't make a difference if you're working at a pet store or something like that, for example, but employees bringing dogs into a public workplace, I, I think, is wrong. I think it's distracting What about people who have allergies to dogs? But anyways, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this policy change a good idea? Some employees said, hey, I'd love to be able to take my dog to work. Well, I'd love to be able to take my dog to work, too. I just don't think it would be necessarily a good idea. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to discuss in just a moment. Twelve sixteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve nineteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I'm a pet lover. Just sent out a tweet talking about this story. The the dog that's pictured there that that's that's my dog. I I love going home to her. I, I absolutely I love spending time with her. But I don't think it's appropriate for a lot of reasons to bring her to work. However, if you are a public employee in Madison, working either for the city or the county, you will soon be able to bring your dog to work. If you're a member of the public, you won't be able to bring your dog into, for example, the city county building unless it's a service dog. But if you're an employee, you can have your dog with you. I'm sorry. I think that's crazy. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Bristol. Mark, you're first. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, is this a good idea?
1: Well, I have a little bit of a personal story about that. My dog needed to have foot surgery, and I had to watch her continuously for a month. My employer was nice enough to let me bring my dog into uh, work with me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have a mixed reaction because, you know, it's impossible to have a bad day at work when you got your best friend right next to you. So I agree with it in that sense. But on the flip side, it did create a little bit of animosity with the other employees because it became an issue of if he gets to bring his dog, why can't I bring my dog? Right, right,
0: so, right, right, right. Um,
1: I feel that, you know, over time, I think it's going to be something that's going to be abused and kind of taken advantage of and they'll have to roll it back.
0: Well, I mean, I have I mean, I have other issues as well. I mean, what about what about if you had if you had co-workers, for example, who were allergic to to dogs? Some, you know, some are. Um, what why do we draw the line at dogs? What if somebody's got a couple cats? Should you be able to bring cats to work? I mean, we, I guess that that's the problem. It, it's. It's a workplace, and, and to right. me, pets. Now I understand, you know, you you had a different, difficult situation, different situation, and your employer, you know, wanted to accommodate you. And I, I think, you know, on a one-off thing, that's certainly fine. But as a general rule, I mean, I guess this strikes me as being a recipe for disaster. Not to mention, Mark, what happens if somebody somebody brings their dog to work and that dog bites a coworker or something? You know, I mean, I, you don't think that's going to happen, but but who knows? Where is the liability for that?
1: Right yeah that is a very very good point because is the employer responsible is the employee responsible right. it it could create more of a mess than than the benefit of doing it Right
0: no way. no no thanks for calling and again i i understand in in private business, in a a one-off type of situation, like you're talking about, Mark, where you've got this kind of emergency situation. I don't know what you do for a living, and I don't know what the circumstances are, but you know, all right, I mean, does an employer have a right to do it? Yeah, but as a general rule, no, I'm sorry, I I think this is, it's just a bad idea, and maybe it's partly the recovering lawyer in me that's just, I'm thinking, okay, think about all the different stuff that, that can, in fact, go wrong. Why limit it to one pet? Why not two pets? Why a dog? Why not multiple cats? What about people who are allergic? All those different types of things. And and the bottom line is, you know, if you are at work, look, I one of the things that I do at home, when I prepare for my show, I, I'll sit in the living room and my dog will sit in my lap while I've got my laptop computer and and yes, I can multitask, but let's face it, it; I kind it is sort of a distraction. But I mean, I'm on my own time. I'm at home. I just don't think it would be a good idea to again have my dog sitting in my lap while doing this radio show. 414-799-1620. Mike in Elkhorn. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hello. Yeah. Thanks for my call. Thanks
1: uh, for calling. I uh, I think it's ridiculous and the first point I made was productivity and it was just to the point you just made, you know, your dog at home on your lap is one thing, but if you're at work, you've got to keep an eye on that dog,
0: Yep.
1: you know, and I was telling the screener, I work construction. So, you know, there's guys that take dogs to construction sites. That's one thing. Right. It's usually in a new subdivision. You know, there's no big deal, but if you're on a three million dollar home in Lake Geneva, you're not taking your dog with you. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, that's ridiculous.
0: Right, or I mean, you're, in, or you're in an office setting where you're. I mean, even if you work at a quote unquote desk job, you're not. In most cases, you're not going to be sitting at that desk for eight hours a day. You're getting up, you're walking around the office, you're going oh, to the absolutely. coffee machine, you're going to the copy machine, and you're going to have right. to take your dog with you right. all well, the time.
1: Well, you might as well just take him into the bathroom, too, and sit him down next to you on the floor in the stall.
0: While you're going. I mean, that's, <laughs> well, yeah. And what you know, about, like, and what, see, and Mike, what about the people, I, I know this is hard for some people to believe, but there are people that don't like dogs. And, and, oh, I mean, absolutely. I,
2: so, There's uh, a, you know, cat people. A lot of them don't like dogs.
0: Yeah, he,
1: well, <laughs> dog, dog people don't like cats. So I mean, like you said, next thing you're going to have a bird on somebody's
0: shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks. Right. Well, thanks for that. But I mean, I mean, it's it's kind of like one of these things with the employees. All right. I mean, so you're okay. We have we don't have offices here for for most of us little people. We have the you know we have we have cubes. All right. So all right. What if the person in the cube next to me doesn't like dogs all right so all right so it, it, where where are my rights I'm like well okay what do you mean you don't like dogs how can you not like my dog well I'm sorry Jeff I just don't like dogs and you know every once in a while the dog will bark or something like that and that's just a disruption to me it's just a fundamentally bad idea now I appreciate like I say there are some businesses that are dog friendly I was in Florida like I was talking about earlier last week I'm in Florida and the, a lot of the restaurants a lot of people eat outdoors and they are very very dog friendly i think a lot of times even in milwaukee when you have these outdoor cafes people will let their you know they'll let people bring their dogs in all right well that's a business decision that that you are making because you're figuring okay it's going to be to the benefit of customers and i think you know you should have your right the right to allow customers to do that but as far as the employees now 414-799-1620 let's talk to mike in milwaukee mike you're in wtmj good afternoon
2: I just think it's crazy. The liability is very bad.
0: Yeah, for, first time a dog first time a dog bites somebody. Yeah, first time a dog bites a coworker or bites I don't know somebody who's who's in there to get their get pick up their wedding license or whatever. It's going to be a disaster.
1: Yep, it'll be an easy way for somebody to get some money, which is kind of crazy the way things are.
0: Um, no, th- th- thanks. To, I mean, again, it's all these different issues that are out there. Well, my dog's never bitten anybody. Well, okay, you know, you, you've you got your dog behind the counter or something. And again, somebody comes up and reaches down to pet the dog, and boom, the dog nips at him or whatever. Bobby Joe in Pell Lake. Bobby Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks
0: for calling. What do you think?
3: So, I agree with every point you've made. I think bringing your dog to work is a absolutely absurd um, but on top of all the points that you've made these employees are now going to have to pay the employees to take their dogs out to the bathroom Oh yeah. you know you, you can't control when a dog has to go to the bathroom so right. when he's got to go you're going to have to get up and take him. and as far as i understand any county building is technically paid for by the taxpayers so now the taxpayers are having to pay for these employees to take their dogs out to the bathroom
0: right yeah and just, and it, right it's one thing to say okay you've got a 15 minute break and so your, your break is going to kick in at ten fifteen, and you've got to 10 30 and so unless it's emergency situation that's when you go to the bathroom it's another thing when that dog starts sniffing around it the dog is not going to understand no honey you have to hold it for another 15 minutes
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and just all the other points you've made with allergies and people not liking dogs and dogs are unpredictable. You'll get a, a couple dogs together that may one day not get along. And now all of a sudden you got a dog fight. So who is responsible for the care that's going to need to be taken of the dogs or the employees or whoever gets bit by them?
0: Yeah, it is. Now, thanks for the call. I guess I, 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 I was looking at this and, and the justification is, well, 50 some percent of the employees surveyed want it mm, oh, okay, well, that's that, that's nice. And I guess if you asked me, gee, Jeff, would you like to be able to take Sasha to work? My answer would be, yeah, I, I guess I would. Plus, let, let's look at the other thing. My guess is there's some of these people that have their dogs in like doggy daycare and stuff like that. So, you know, they're looking forward to kind of saving a few bucks. So, I mean, I, I understand all the arguments and I understand nobody ever thinks that their dog would act up. But the reality is, as much as I love my dog, having her with me at work would be a distraction at some point in time. There's just no Question about it, and you know why should the taxpayers in Madison, beyond all the other things we're talking about, mean, you know, why should they be footing the bill for this? Twelve twenty-eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's twelve thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Keep it tuned to WTMJ. We'll keep you updated on all the latest weather information. They uh, they're, they're predicting some freezing rain tonight, and it's the that's that's particularly nasty, simply because it creates those slick spots on the highway and again it's one of those things that's going to be it's kind of iffy as to when it's going to hit and where it's going to hit and also we'll continue to keep you posted and i know people who have lots of plans this evening people are going to be out and about on a number of different things and we will do everything we possibly can to help you get home safely all right i am a non-smoker um years and years and years ago i would have an occasional cigar but that that ended, and, and I, I don't remember the last time I've, I've smoked anything. I, have always, I, I used to tell this cigar story. I went one night, and this was years and years and years ago. I went to some fundraiser. It was Scotch and Cigars at the Milwaukee Yacht Club. Okay, so everybody's like dressed in suits, and so they're giving you cigars and you're having Scotch. I, I come home to my house, and my, my late wife, she, she greets me at the door. And I walk in the door, and she says, take your clothes off. And it's not a – but it's not a good take your clothes off. It's a take your clothes off. And next thing I know, she's got this garbage bag. And she says, okay, just – Take all your clothes off. Put all the stuff in this garbage bag. We're putting it on the front step, and then you're taking it all to the dry cleaner tomorrow. You know, and then get in the shower. So it, it, it was that kind of take your clothes off, and it's always kind of like stuck in my mind. Not that good kind, but it was because I I'm sure I didn't even notice it, but having been in a room where everybody's smoking cigars, I'm certain that that I I reeked of that. So I I have I, I have never been a, a smoker a, a to any any degree, but I appreciate that it 's a legal activity, and I appreciate that there 's now yeah, twenty five to thirty percent of the American public who who do make the choice to do that, either cigars or cigarettes i I accept the premise that cigarette smoking is bad for you i don 't think i think it 's almost impossible to argue anything other than that it 's bad for you, but at the same time. I got to admit, I probably do a lot of things that other people wouldn't do and think that that might be bad for you. What do you mean, Jeff? You know, you sat down last night while you were reading your book and you had a you had a glass of bourbon. Don't you realize that liquor can be bad for you? Or you had that beer, you know, what? whatever. So I, I get it. And I think adults get the right to make choices for themselves. I appreciate that when it comes to smoking, there are certain societal costs if you are a smoker you are perhaps more likely to suffer certain health effects and that's why typically you know for private health insurance like at our company if you're a non-smoker you get a lower rate than if you are a smoker maybe that's fair maybe it's not fair but regardless that's the way it is well here's the story hawaii is considering becoming the first state in the country which will begin to phase in a ban on cigarette sales. Um, they became, in 2016, the first state in the country to raise the age to buy cigarettes to 21. You know, most places you can buy cigarettes all, at, outside of certain Certain communities, there's individual cities across the country that say you have to be 21, but Hawaii was the first state to do that. This new bill calls for raising the cigarette buying age to 30 by next year and then up to 40, 50, and 60 in each subsequent year and up to the age of 100 by 2024. So in other words, 2024 rolls around, You're 80 years old. If you want to buy a pack of cigarettes, you would not be able to do it. guess the thinking is if you've lived to 100, well, what the heck, do whatever you want. And the justification is that this is, you know, smoking is bad for you. The doctor who's pushing this, who's also a legislator, says basically we essentially have a group who are heavily addicted, um, enslaved by a ridiculously bad industry, which has enslaved them by designing a cigarette that is highly addictive, knowing that it's highly lethal too. All right. So the idea would be essentially within the next couple of years, cigarette purchasing. It would be illegal to smoke cigarettes. 414. 414- 799-1620 that would be the Acunet mortgage talk and text line let us discuss this if you are an adult 25 35 50 70 80 90 should you be able to purchase cigarettes and then smoke them is that your right or is it within the government's right to say we have decided that this is just it's addictive it is bad for you We don't think you should do it, and we want to help you quit, so we're not going to allow them to be sold. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you haven't guessed, I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But I'm curious, would you like to see the government, for all intents and purposes, essentially ban the sale of cigarettes? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And if you are a smoker, I'd be particularly curious in hearing your position on this, Uh, Do you think the government has the right to tell you, all right, no, you cannot do this. This behavior is just so dangerous that we don't think that you should be able to participate in it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now, the way I understand this proposed law... It would be a ban on on selling or purchase it would be a ban on selling cigarettes in Hawaii to anybody under fifty, then sixty, then seventy, then eighty, then ninety, and one hundred. It would not be a ban on, on somebody, for example, deciding that they want to smoke for example in their own backyard or something like that but you wouldn't be able to purchase cigarettes so you'd have to again be getting cigarettes in somewhere on the black market or you you know clearly what would be happening is you'd have this huge black market that would explode um, where cigarettes are being sold, and then, of course, so somebody would go to Los Angeles, and you'd buy cartons and cartons of cigarettes, and then you'd bring them back to the Hawaiian Islands, and then you'd be, uh, trying to surreptitiously sell them, I guess, like that. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. From a non-smoker. I think this is an absurd overreach on the part of government. It is one thing if you want to say look we believe as a policy matter smoking is bad for people so we want to try to discourage it and we're going to increase the taxes on cigarettes we're going to tax it because we consider it to be a public health hazard and we want to get in more money so that we can you know use it to i don't know help offset the, the medical costs okay that that that's all well and good but prohibitions of things that have been legal do not work and this idea of saying If you're 65 years old, you know, and you've been a lifetime smoker, well, we're not going to allow you to continue to smoke or we're not going to allow you to buy cigarettes, I think is just absolutely and totally, like I say, it is a government overreach. And what do you do about the people who just truly enjoy understanding what the risks are? They truly enjoy smoking. I mean, do we tell them, no, that you you can't do this because, you know, we think it's bad for you? Well, give me a break. Let's start with Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ.
2: Uh, Hi. Uh I've got a brother that's severely alcoholic, been that way for 20 years. We were surprised he's not been dead 15 years ago. But anyhow, uh, he's actually in a nursing home doing better than ever because he needed somebody to take care of him. Now, when you don't have – when you have an addictive personality as such – what do you do when that's taken away? You know, I don't know what the repercussions of psychologically are. Do you find a substitute then for that? Right. You know, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I tell a friend of mine that always had me buy him cards of cigarettes when he's broke. It, I will not do that. I'll take him shopping. I'll buy him food. I, I will no longer buy him cigarettes. Right. Uh, you know, it's just my thing, you know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little afraid. Um, Wait,
0: what, what 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 are people going to do to replace that? Right, and and is that might that be worse? No, thanks to call, but I get see. I just think the larger point is this is a government overreach. I I have an acquaintance who, um, is has a terminal illness, and my acquaintance enjoys smoking. All right. Would I I and would a lot of our our mutual friends probably prefer that my acquaintance didn't smoke anymore? Yeah. But at the same time, again, my, my acquaintance has a terminal illness, and my acquaintance enjoys smoking. It gives this person pleasure. So, I mean, who am I to say that, you know, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or whatever. But who am I to say, all right, at this point in time in your life, that I, I don't think that you should be able to smoke? And who is the government to be able to say at this point in time, you know, you, you should not smoke? If you're willing to, again, I, I think this is one where you disclose the risks to people, you tell them it's not good for them. Again, if you want to impose taxes to try to discourage use. Okay, you impose taxes, but this idea that we're going to say that at the age of Fifty or sixty or seventy or forty or thirty. We don't think that you have enough judgment to make a conscious decision. So we're going to take we're going to take that away. Can you imagine? I'm just trying to picture as they phase this in over the next couple of years. We card to make sure that you're over 21. Um, now we're carding to make sure that you're over 40 or over 50 or whatever. Let's talk to Ted in Bensonville. Ted, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hey Jeff, I'm a big fan. You're a Hall of Famer. I, lo- I love it. Uh, I just love Thanks. To listen to your broadcast every day, and have. even though I'm in Chicago, I listen to you, buddy. No doubt about it. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate but,
0: you
1: know, that. You no, know, I just think it's interesting, uh, you, Jeff. Remember the old thing? Yeah, I, they they came and they locked them up, and I thought it was okay until they came for me or whatever the right? vision is of that freedom. Freedom, and you know, so thinking of how and when you say, "Who am I?" or "Who is the government?" Well, who is the government to tell you know, uh, adults making their own decisions that smoking marijuana is wrong, mm-hmm. as opposed to drinking or smoking cigarettes. And yet, you know, those who do would choose marijuana are treated like criminals. So mm-hmm. that's who that's who is able to do that to you. The same people who would treat marijuana users like criminals uh, are now going to treat cigarette smokers like criminals. And this is what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Same thing, adults making their own decisions with their own lives and their own health. And as a matter of fact, they're both going in operate opposite directions because you know the, the evidence and the research on marijuana is not is devastating apparently as tobacco or it wouldn't be going in these two yeah it
0: is you know t- Ted now, thanks for the call you make a really interesting point <clears throat> now again I, I think I think the government does have And this comes from my perspective as a former narcotics prosecutor. I mean, I I think you can carry that argument so far. and You can say, well, does that mean that you think methamphetamine should be legal and heroin should be legal? And my answer is no, because at some point in time, you have some substances. And from a public policy matter, the effect on society is just so devastating that I think you have a right to ban certain things. So I'm not the absolute libertarian when it comes to this. You also make a really interesting point that the same people that are probably pushing to legalize marijuana, are the ones who are pushing to outlaw smoking. <laughs> it's just all right. Well, now, granted, you're not going to be chain smoking marijuana joints, I don't think. Like maybe you chain smoked cigarettes, but marijuana in general is a lot more carcinogenic than, for example, a cigarette is. But again, you're not you're not presumably going to be smoking as many of them. But the bottom line is, it's to me, it is an individual choice that's made. I, I i've told this story before but but bear with me my um my former mother-in-law uh who, who passed away a number of years ago she loved to smoke and you know she was of a certain age and and she wasn't going to give up smoking she enjoyed it and she was in a nursing home and i remember i had this doctor come to me and, and the doctor said you know we you know we really think it would be best if if you didn't give her cigarettes and she didn't smoke and but this is—it's it, it, what gave her pleasure. And I remember having this conversation with the doctor to the extent of, "Doctor, you know, how how old are you? <laughs> you know, tell tell me. And are, are you worried that she's going to like burn something down? Well, no, no, no. That's all control. It's just not good for her. And it was kind of like, okay, this is this is what gives her pleasure in her life. You're going to tell you know you're going to tell us to try to take that away? No, I just I just don't think so. And again, this is from my perspective. Is do you wish that people would make that decision not to smoke? Um, oh, okay, I, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, unless we are going to ban tobacco production, unless we're going to say no cigarettes, no cigars, I think adults should have the right to make that choice. Rebecca in Madison. Hi, Rebecca. You're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I wholly agree on that. I don't smoke. I've never smoked. I can't stand the smell of it. I bartended for many years, and oh. I smelled like a cigarette. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know all of that, but we're all adults here. It, it's It's What and I see it as a slippery slope. What are they going to ban next? Alcohol? Because let's face it, alcohol is not good for a lot of people either, man. We'll get rid of you know Coke and Pepsi and everything because hey, all that sugar in the soda and
0: well you know it's I, interesting you should say that because that that's kind of the trend that some cities have tried to go that it's been the same path as with cigarettes all right first we're going to just jack up the taxes, and now you've seen you know some cities who've done that exactly with the sugary sodas here we're gonna we think it's bad for you to you know be able to drink. I don't know, Coke or Pepsi or Mountain Dew or whatever. So we're we're going to start off by doing the taxes. Then what is the next step? Well, now you're just not going to be able to buy it, period?
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, as I, I joke with my friends. I'm a big girl. I know my, my my cold caffeine is bad for me, but every day I have my can of cold caffeine because that's the way I take it. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's right. my decision in life. A-
0: and, and somebody's going to have to pry that can of Diet Coke out of your cold, dead hand, Right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I, think, I mean, again, it, it's just—it's—it's just. It's a, it's just a, look, it's a government overreach. I, I think if you want to change, and the, and the reality is, smoking has gone down. The the education efforts and the. Coupled with the scare efforts and the education efforts and the change in tax policy, the, the number of people who are smoking is going down. That you know, big tobacco the the pow- is not as powerful a lobby as it was. And maybe, 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 maybe you know, fifteen twenty years from now, we'll be talking about a situation where very few, if any, people smoke. I I admit I don't get it. I will go, you know, in, in the winter when you go to a bar or a restaurant and you see some people huddled outside having a cigarette, I just don't get it. One of my one of my teammates, when it was just so bitterly cold last week, I watched – here, if you want to smoke, you can't smoke in the building. You go out to the loading dock, and and one of my teammates was heading out – you're smiling, Melissa – It was heading out, and it wasn't you, it was heading out to the loading dock, you know, when it's 20 degrees below zero to have a cigarette, which, again, th- this particular teammate knows I I just – Adore them, but it was kind of like I couldn't resist. They said, "Okay, maybe this tells you, you know, that, that if, if if you need the cigarettes so bad that you got to go out and stand twenty degree below zero weather to to do it, maybe it's time to think about quitting." But but that's a decision that this person will will make or not make, and I'll love them regardless. It's twelve fifty six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One oh seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I told you a couple months ago. I have I have found a, a new, a new kind of passion uh, and a new activity, It's kind of an old new activity. And I'm I'm very much looking forward to the spring because that's when I get to get the bicycle out of the garage and go on bike rides. My my wife has been an avid bike rider for years and years and years, and candidly, my chunky butt hadn't been on a bicycle in a long time. But it's true that once. You know, once you learn how to ride a bike, you you never forget. At the same time, the idea of going on like a 20 or 30 mile bike ride, for example, probably just wasn't going to happen because I, I just, I don't, I don't know that I'm in the shape to I said I don't know that I'm in the shape to do that. I know I'm not in the shape to do that. Okay, I I, I understand that would be one where I get ten miles away from home, and then I have to figure out how to get back, that back, that other ten miles back, and I'd be calling some Uber that has a bike rack or something like that. But that all changed because over the last Labor Day, we we went out to our friends at Wheel and Sprocket, as a matter of fact, and we bought e-bikes. These, um, the, these electronic bikes, very very cool, that have. There, there's like a battery. It's like a plastic battery that it's, that you, it's a battery that you charge and then you put it on the handle of the bike. And the way these e-bikes work is you still have to pedal. So you're still getting exercise, but you can set it at different speeds and it just makes it easier for you to do that. So I, I can ride 20 miles on a bike with, that's, that's an e-bike. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, when, when the spring rolls around. Now, having said that, there is, again, I've I've become very, very aware of interacting, the interactions between cars and, and bicycles. And there are some areas around here which are extremely bicycle friendly. You know, you've got designated bike lanes and you know as long as you can, you know, keep it between the lanes it it's fine. There are other areas where there there's not designated bike lanes and you're kind of out there. Maybe you're on the side of the road where there's there's gravel or you're you're going down the roadway and you're interacting with with cars. When we were in Florida last week, I, I was just struck by how many bite by- and we were we were in the on the Gulf side of Florida. We were in like Fort Myers and Bonita Springs and the Naples area and things like that. And, and I was I was just surprised. I don't know, surprised, but I I was just struck by how there's bike lanes everywhere because lots and lots of people, given the weather, lots and lots of people ride bicycles to get around. So, you know, it's very clear. And I thought, okay, well, this would be a safe area to ride, to ride bicycles. So now as I really get into this, this hobby next spring, I mean, I do acknowledge that one of the things that I've got to really think about is like bike routes and getting to the bike trails and things like that, because I'm still having not ridden a bike in decades, I'm still a little bit uncomfortable on the roads where you're interacting with cars that are going 35 or 40 or 45 miles an hour just a little bit uncomfortable about that and i'm trying to I, i know i will get over that at some point in time all right all that brings me to this very very tragic story from last year you might remember this 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 was a crash that occurred it was june 14th so, it's five o'clock at night, so it's, it, it's daylight. June 14th, five o'clock at night. What happened was, there was this physician, his name is Brian Yagoda, 57 years old, and he, he's riding his bicycle. He's a very beloved, he was a pediatrician at ProHealth Medical Group in their Mosquito Clinic. So, he's, he's out in the Delafield area, and he's, he is riding his bike. What happened is he's traveling eastbound on Gulf Road, if you can kind of picture that out in Delafield. Now this is one of those places where there's not a designated bike lane. You've got a lane of traffic and then you've got what they call like a fog lane, you know, a fog line, and then you you've got like pressed down gravel essentially on, on the side of the road. So there's not a there's not a bike lane. According to now the criminal complaint, he's he's riding east, and there's a, a 72-year-old man. His name is James Cramp, K-R-A-M-P, and he's he is in his car. What happens is the vehicle driven by the 72-year-old man hits the bicycle from behind and ends up, as a result of the, the collision, the crash, ends up killing the bicyclists. All right, uh, the way... The way the complaint reads is that the vehicle, the car, went partially onto the gravel shoulder, striking the bicyclist from behind. The bicyclist was wearing a helmet, according to the initial crash. The vehicle ended up several hundred feet past the initial point of impact. The man who was driving the car was coming home from a a grocery store. He passed all field sobriety tests. There was no alcohol in his blood at all. He didn't have a cell phone. He wasn't adjusting the the knobs on a radio or anything like that. He, He just hit the bicyclist from behind. He told police, as he was going up around a curve, On a hill on Gulf Road, he saw a man on a bike. He said he didn't remember if the bike was on the white fog line or the left of it on the road. He said he saw the bicyclist wobbling and come into his lane before he hit him. All right, that's his story. Then they have a a witness, a guy who was driving behind the car and said that the vehicle, Cramp's vehicle, was halfway on the pavement and halfway in the gravel on the shoulder. So it was kind of like again wheels on the pavement wheels on the gravel shoulder um the witness said that that's what he saw an accident reconstruction report done by the state patrol concluded that the car the car's right tires had traveled onto the gravel shoulder road for approximately 46 feet so you know what's that 15 yards before hitting the bicycle. The report says the bicycle tire scuff scuffmar located on the white fog line identifies where the bicycle was struck. So it appears the bicycle is not on the roadway. It's to on the, either on the fog line or on this gravel. The car, somewhat on the gravel, somewhat on the road, comes up and hits the guy from behind. No alcohol involved, not on a cell phone, not futzing with the radio dial not screaming at the the guy on talk radio who he's upset with whatever just that that's the kind of circumstance he was sort of over too far came up and hit the bicycle the district attorney's office has had this case well for quite a while like i say the incident happened on june 14th and in the last couple days they made a decision to issue criminal charges. The man has now been charged with homicide by negligent operation of a vehicle. If convicted, he could face up to 10 years in prison and a $25,000 fine. All right. Not every time there is an automobile accident, even something that results in death, it, it it's it's not it's not always a crime. I mean, a lot of times stuff just happens. Somebody blows through a red light or runs a stop sign and hits somebody else. Well, it, it's not always, matter of fact, in many cases, it's not going to be criminal. Maybe it's inattentive driving. You know, there there's lawsuits that to try to determine who's at fault. But you don't look at trying to put somebody in prison for 10 years, which would be the maximum penalty. Again, in this case, driver hadn't been drinking. Driver wasn't texting. Driver wasn't on a cell phone. Driver was just apparently too far over on the road and came up and hit the bicycle from behind. In your mind, is this a crime? Now, nobody is suggesting, and again, I want to make the distinction here. Nobody is suggesting that if the facts are as alleged that the driver of this car isn't, isn't at fault. But is this the type of thing that rises to the level of a crime where somebody needs to go to prison? 414-799-1620. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know a number of you are bicycle enthusiasts and probably have all sorts of horror stories about interacting with cars on the road. I know a number of you who drive probably have horror stories about interacting with bicycles on the road. This is clearly everybody's nightmare. It, it's everybody's nightmare that you're driving along, and all of a sudden, if you're riding the bicycle, you tangle with the car, you're always going to lose. If you are driving the car, hey, all of a sudden, this, I've come upon this bicycle, and, and boom, now I've hit the person. Is this a crime? And should the, man, should the man go to prison for it? Does it strike you as homicide by negligent operation of a motor vehicle? Or is this just one of the things that happens? Tragic, unfortunate, maybe clearly the subject of civil liability, but not a crime. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think we discuss in just a moment? It's 117 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One twenty, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's get to a couple texts before we start taking calls. Steve says, "Jeff, I think it's an unfortunate accident. I'm sure the man didn't mean to hit him. No, he, he he didn't. This this situation becomes an easier case if the driver of the car had been drinking, or if the driver of the car was texting." or if the driver of the car was doing something that was otherwise attracting his attention. In this case, he, he wasn't. guy was going down this, this road. He was apparently too far to the side of the road, so he was partly a little bit on the gravel. The right side of the car was on the gravel. The left side was on the pavement, came upon the bicyclist, hit him from behind, and because of the speeds involved. He wasn't speeding, by the way, or anything like that, but the speeds involved and the nature of the contact and it's behind and all this stuff, the bicyclist ends up losing his life. Is that a crime? Debbie says, nope, it's not a crime in my opinion. Uh, let's see another text. Jeff, it's troubling to think that the eight to ten um in the right of the fog line is somehow a lane for anything bicycles or pedestrians it's not enough room for anything to be safe over there both pedestrians and cyclists should stay out of the fog lane and shoulder of the road period well here's the problem i mean there's no there's no bike lane or anything you're going down golf road there It, it if you're on the bicycle you're you're riding on the gravel, or you're in the lane of traffic. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. In this case, the bicyclist was I was not in the lane of traffic. The bicyclist was either on the fog line or on the gravel. He was where he was in the only place that he had a choice, a really an option to be short of riding on the pavement. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Terry and Racine. Terry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon. Um, it's really hard. I mean, it's not a, like, a, arrest a guy or this and that. I guess I look at it on this side. My opinion is based on this. The guy that died, you know, is he a dad? Did he have children? Did he yes. have family? Yes, yes, you yes. Know, he has all these things, and these people are standing by, sitting, you know, somebody ran my dad over. Oh, well, you know, it was a nice guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you still you know something should be done just for the sake of i mean somebody had died here yep. i mean he, he killed somebody and judging by what i heard a little bit you said he was traveling 15 yards in the gravel
0: no no uh, no 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 um what what was happening is that the driver he he's a little bit over the, the he's kind of my, my understanding is he's sort of straddling the frog lane, so he's got cars. It's a single lane road, so he's got cars on. Okay. He's got two. The left tires are on the road. The right tires are kind of on the gravel. He comes upon the bicyclist and he hits him. So he wasn't driving down the the gravel part of the road, but he was kind of he was a little bit over. He was over too far to the right. No right, question about right. it. That's and
2: how, you know, in and see, and seeing that, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, I I've driven. I see bicycle people. I mean. Everybody knows the protocol on that. And to be that kind of a distance and something like that happen, you know, I guess I look at, at the end of the day, we're all sitting around the table. Dad got run over by and killed by a bicycle, right. you know, by a guy. And it's like, so nothing's going to happen.
0: Well, I mean, thanks for calling. Mean, I guess that's the question. It's, and nobody would argue that, that nothing should happen. That's what I think one of the things that makes this story interesting. The question is, what is the appropriate thing that would happen? Like I say, not, not every traffic accident that results in somebody getting hurt is is considered to be a crime i mean you know people run red lights all the time and you have automobile collisions all the time where somebody sustained some injuries and it's not a criminal case what it is it's okay who's liable you sue in court you determine what your damages are in this particular case i mean what the state says that it's going to try to prove is that you had, you know, negligent operation of the vehicle. What the the way the man was driving was so outrageous that it's not ordinary negligence, it's negligence to the extreme. I, I will tell you this, and, and this is a horrible story. And, and again, it, it just it brings to light again the, the dangers that happen when you don't have designated bike lanes, and you have you know bicyclists who are interacting with cars. In this particular case, it, it's clear to me, or at least my opinion is, the driver what was inattentive. Driver just wasn't paying attention now he wasn't this wasn't distracted driving i mean again it's not like they're texting or if they're, if there's texting then it's an easy case if he's drinking then it's an easy case in this case he just wasn't paying good enough attention and you have somebody that's dead is that enough to rise to make this um is this enough to make it negligent homicide let's talk to mary on the northwest side mary on wtmj hello
3: I was going to say the very same thing, Jeff. Um, Great minds to, think
0: alike. Okay.
3: In, in order to prove criminal acts, you have to have intent, or even with negligence, it has to be actions that any reasonable person would deem would cause that type of, you know, death right. or injury or whichever it is. And in this case, it doesn't appear that this man did either. I mean, granted, something should happen, you know, sue him, he has to pay for whatever he has to pay for, that sort of thing. But as far as an actual crime, I don't think that. Um, right. they 're going to be able to prove that uh, he was negligent or had intent to kill this man
0: yeah think you know it's this this is a difficult one and I think if if you 're wondering why the district attorney 's office took so long i mean this incident happened in June. I mean, June 14th, and now here we're in in early February. So, I mean, if you're wondering why it took, you know, seven, eight months to to make a charging decision, I'm sure that there was a lot of discussions for exactly the point that you're talking about, Mary. This is not – it's a horrible situation, and and horrible situation. The question is, are you going to be able to prove that – by driving as this man was driving, And he was clearly, in, in my opinion, if this happened like the accident reconstruction people said, he was clearly inattentive, all right? And the consequences were awful. But was that inattention, does that rise to the level of this extreme negligence? I. This is, to me, a close one. And on uh, the one hand, you have the horrific result, and you also have the bicycle that was where the bicycle was supposed to be, um and, and the car who wasn't paying attention. Is that enough in and of itself to rise to the level of negligent homicide? I will tell you, I think it's a tough prosecution. Um I think the DA's office feels they have to do it because they're trying to make a statement and you have somebody that's dead. But this is not a slam dunk one way or the other if the matter goes to trial. It is, however, a cautionary note. Again, we're in February... But by the middle of next month or the end of next month or early April, more and more people are going to be out riding their bicycles. And I understand there's always this give and take between cars and bicycles. But I I think... From I guess I'm now looking at it from the perspective of somebody who drives a lot and who's going to be spending a lot of time riding his bike around. This is one where everybody just has to pay more attention and recognize that pedestrians are on the side of the road, bicyclists are on the side of the road, and cars have to pay attention to them. It's 128. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Goodbye, Columbus, maybe. There is a small Milwaukee County Park known as Columbus Park. It's um, it's between 72nd and 74th Street on the city's north side uh, off of Cortland. Cortland, think Hampton. If you're trying to think the, the main street, think Hampton. And then it's a couple blocks south of Hampton between 72nd and 74th. It is a relatively small park. It's it's 10 acres. It's got, I'm looking at the diagram now, it's got three Little League baseball diamonds. It's got a tot play area. It's got a wading pool. It's got restrooms. And it's got multi-use courts. I assume that's basketball courts or whatever. So ten acres. So so relatively small. It, it's called Columbus Park. It has been named Columbus Park since 1956. So it has been Columbus Park for 62, 63 years. That may change, effective later this week, because Milwaukee County the ever politically correct Milwaukee County Board, the same people that gave us the pension scandal and so many other different things, they are in the process, the county board, of renaming Milwaukee County's Columbus Park. Why? Because some people are offended by Christopher Columbus. What are they going to name Columbus Park? What are they going to rename Columbus Park? The proposal is to rename Columbus Park Indigenous Peoples Park. Let me read you a portion of the story as it appears in the journal Sentinel. Milwaukee County's Columbus Park may soon become Indigenous Peoples Park. A proposal to change the name of the park um, will go before the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors on Thursday. We thought that naming it Indigenous Peoples Park will give a nod to all tribes from this area, rather than specifically naming it after a particular particular tribe. Supervisor Felicia Martin, the resolution sponsor, said during a committee meeting last week, as part of Wisconsin tradition, we like to recognize and tilt our hats to all of those who contributed to our economy and our state as a whole and we know that indigenous indigenous people are a critical group the proposal comes 2 years after Milwaukee County joined a number of communities around the country in a growing trend of recognizing indigenous people's day on the same day as Columbus Day the resolution was approved unanimously by the county's parks energy and environmental committee late last month da, 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 da. The history and the settling of the United States and the role that Christopher Columbus played is contentious and frequently ignores the displacement and suffering of indigenous peoples. The resolution says indigenous peoples were forced to relinquish their um uh, the, relinquished there something in the early 1800s by settlers to expand west and were either forced onto reservations in isolation or made to assimilate with colonizing groups. The new name would honor indigenous, instead of honoring Christopher Columbus, the new name would instead honor indigenous groups in Milwaukee County, including the Menominee, the Fox, the Mascoutin, the Sauk, the Pottawatomie, And the Ho-Chunk, the resolution notes that the Menominee tribe was pressured to sell 11,600 square miles of land along the lower Fox River. And other tribes, including the Sauk and Fox tribes, were forced to cede their land claims in southern Wisconsin. The cost for new signs for the park is estimated to be about $9,700. All right. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Actonet Mortgage talk and text line. You obviously have a number of members of the Milwaukee County Board who are feeling, you know, guilt over, well, you know, what, what happened to the indigenous people of the state of Wisconsin hundreds of years ago? And they have decided that what we're going to do is we're going to take a park that has been named after Christopher Columbus. And we should all feel guilty about it being named after Christopher Columbus, because don't you know that Christopher Columbus led to all these horrible, horrible sorts of things? So what we're going to do is we're going to scrub the name of Christopher Columbus from this park, and we're going to call it Indigenous Peoples Park, honoring all the various tribes. 414-799-1620 four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, that is the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the way I see this. Cost ninety seven hundred dollars, which the way Milwaukee County, the Board of Supervisors spends money is is, is nothing, but it still is ninety seven hundred dollars. The bigger question to me is all right, is this a long overdue recognition of the evils of explorers like Christopher Columbus who should have never been honored with a park name after them in the first place? Or is this Political correctness run amok. Four one four seven nine 799 That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And let's be honest, this is going to happen. I mean, I, I can't, given the makeup of the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors, I'm not sure there's a one of them that would vote against anything that was as politically correct as this. But the bigger question is, right, should we feel guilty about this name? Does the name Christopher Columbus need to be scrubbed from the Milwaukee County Park System because that's precisely what's happening. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this and we'll discuss in just a moment. 141, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We, we We should have seen this coming. It started with a number of people who decided, you know what, honoring Christopher Columbus was just a mistake because what happened is Christopher Columbus was this explorer. Um, there's a question as but you know what he discovered, but but regardless, the whole idea is. Christopher Columbus discovering the new world or, you know, starting to help colonize the new world led to the exploitation of the indigenous people. And now everybody has to feel guilty about what happened in the 14 and 1500s to the point that you cannot recognize Christopher Columbus. And we need to scrub him from um, society. We start by doing that by saying we're not going to have Columbus Day anymore. We're going to have indigenous people's day to recognize the people who were exploited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago go by Columbus, and now, of course, you know, you've got the ever-correct, politically-correct Milwaukee County Board. They've now decided, you know, since 1956, we've had this little park on 72nd and Cortland, which is right off of Hampton. We've had this little park named Columbus Park, and we can't have that anymore. We we cannot, we can no longer do that because we should feel guilty. I mean, why are we honoring Christopher Columbus? So what we're going to do is we're going to call it Indigenous Peoples Park because we well, that will make everybody feel better, I guess. Um, let's see. Here's our text: four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the is the number. Jeff, does this mean we need to remove Christopher Columbus from all history books? Well, I, I don't know that you need to remove him, but my guess is history books will have a more nuanced view of him than perhaps when I was in school. Um, let's see. Jeff, I understand that businesses, parks, etc., will want to rebrand themselves from time to time, thus changing their names. However, in this case, to rename the park because of shame or hatred for what some of our founders did is absolutely foolish, um, to which I would say amen. Let's see. Steve in Greenfield says, extremely lame and a waste of taxpayers' dollars. Shame on Milwaukee County. Well, uh, this is typical Milwaukee County. Jeff. Your typical liberals running amok. It can't write history. People desperately need to end up getting a life. Political stupidness. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Jeff, with all the issues taking place within the parks themselves, I cannot find words to express how out of touch with the real world the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors has become. A- absolutely. I guess here here is how I look at this. If, if you decide that we want to somehow recognize indigenous people, the, the various tribes of Wisconsin for their contributions to Wisconsin or Milwaukee County, I say go with God. That, that's fine. But do you need to do that at the expense of, again, a, a park, that has been called Columbus Park since 1956. This idea, and this is, again, it's the classic liberal guilt that, that's out there. Well, Columbus was terrible. We can't honor Columbus. We can't recognize this as at all. And so this is what we're going to do. And then isn't it great, you know, we're – we we'll, we we don't have to feel guilty about you know whatever might have happened in the 1500s 4147991620 that is the accent mortgage talk and text line what drives me crazy is this is the type of thing that people sit around trying to figure out all right how can we how can we create an issue where no issue exists it is trying to find a a solution for which there is no problem in the first place The place, the park, has been Columbus Park since 1956. This is not a situation where... I mean I we we've talked about it in the context of Confederate generals and things like that and all the the hubbub that has occurred over well you know should we be honoring General Lee and should we have a statue of Stonewall Jackson in a particular place and what's the historical significance and what message does it send okay but but this is it's a public park and it's Columbus I mean really do we need to remove, should we no longer have Columbus Day, should we no longer have any Columbus Day? Should we no longer have schools that are named Columbus, you know, middle school or whatever? Has it gotten to that point? Adam in Milwaukee. Adam, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um,
2: it's virtue signaling, and you know, <laughs> that's, that's what the left does. I, I'm, I'm not going to go down and protest that it. It's 900 or $9,000. I don't care. But let that, that's just. Let everybody know what it is and what it is, and it's not advancing the cause of indigenous people. Right. I was, I'm German and Irish. So, uh, my my people were once treated poorly at different times in yeah. American history too. It's just a bunch of virtue signaling.
0: Yeah, you're, you're exactly. I mean, you you're you're exactly right. That that is that is the perfect way to describe it. It is virtue signaling. Here, what we're going to say is we're going to do this because well, it's going to make us feel better we're going to show that we're woke we're aware of you know what happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago and we're torn up with guilt about it so we're we're going to show that we're we're on top of this type of stuff and anybody who chooses to vote against it well then you know they're they're just racist they hate indigenous people how can you not you know how can you not recognize this and again do I care about what one park is named? No. But there is the larger issue that's out there about this is this is what the county board spends its time on. This is what they spend public resources on, obsessing about, well, if we do this, will this make people feel better? And my guess is, in all honesty, there is not one Native American – well, there might always be one. But there's not too many Native Americans who are going to be sitting around saying, oh, this is great that this my life is now a lot better because the Milwaukee County Board showing that they are woke has now decided to take this park that's been named Columbus Park since 1956 and do away with the name. Oh, they're going to be all and you know, the Board of Supervisors are going to be patting themselves on the back. Oh, we're so smart and we're so woke and we're so aware and we're so concerned. Jim in Kenosha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think?
1: I uh driving home from work right now I'm just drove past our Columbus Park in Kenosha.
0: Yeah. Enjoy, take a picture. Who knows how long it's gonna be there.
1: Yeah. And well what are they gonna rename you know, uh Columbus, Ohio next? Uh call it indigenous
0: personnel ohio or? <laughs> i you, it may very well be that so all right so i, I guess I, I know that they have columbus parks all over the state so there is one in kenosha huh well i wonder wonder how long it's going to be before either you know kenosha county or the kenosha city whatever it is decides that they too you know need to make a statement and get rid of it because well the, the guilt is otherwise just overwhelming
1: I mean, uh, I believe there's a Columbus, Georgia also.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, right. And then, you, of course, you've got the Knights of Columbus. You've got all that type of stuff that's there. Now, no, thank, thanks for the call. I mean, yes, Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, all those, all those different things. But, you know, my prediction is this will pass unanimously. And, again, the Board of Supervisors that has way too much time on their hands will pat themselves on the back. Now, let me just say this. Given that this is the same Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors who has done things like, oh, the pension scandal... And then, I, I don't know, refusing to you know sell decrepit parking lots to Northwestern Mutual in, in order to take money that might make the county better. Given that that's this Milwaukee County Board, maybe I would rather have them spend their time pursuing, uh, again, tilting at these particular windmills and making them feel good by what one of the callers described as virtue signaling as opposed to doing anything else. So maybe that is the, the better way to spend their time. But really, Getting rid of Columbus Park. Come on. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 155. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. The Journal Sentinel has this story about uh, the headline is nine Wisconsin lawmakers received more than $10,000 each in expense payments in 2018. Now, as a general rule, excuse me, but I'm, I, I'm not outraged about this. I mean, here, here's the deal. State legislators, both assembly and senators, make f- like about 51 grand a year. All right, that's and maybe you can argue you get you kind of get what you pay for. In addition, they are entitled to per diem. Here's the deal: legislators in the assembly receive one hundred and sixty-two dollars a day if they have to stay overnight. It's it's, it's a per diem. And they receive $81 for single day visits. So if you stay overnight, you get $162. And that's because you presumably have to get a hotel. $81 if you have to drive to Madison and then drive back. Okay. So that, that's the deal. State senators, um, they get $116 per day. Um, so that, that's the way, that's the way it works. It just, um, doesn't matter if you stay overnight or not. 115 bucks a day so they handle it a little bit differently so last year you had 10 of the nine of these legislators had more than ten thousand dollars each in expense payments and um you had of course the senate majority leader scott fitzgerald who was at the top of of the list, the Assembly Minority Leader, who's a Democrat, Tim Carpenter, Luther Olson, guy from Marinette, guy from Bondiwell, woman from Milwaukee, okay, who all put in these different claims. All right, I guess I, I'm not outraged about that, but here's the one that caught my attention. Fred Risser of Madison who has been there forever, he was first elected in 1956, he took in $11,600. Now, now, here's what I think is interesting about this. Risser claimed expenses on 232 days. Claimed expenses. Now, if you're from Madison, you get a reduced rate. But, but here's the deal. Risser lives right across the street from the Capitol. And he's still getting a per diem. Now, now think about this for a minute. I understand. For example, I I work for Good Karma. If they say, Jeff, we're sending you to Cleveland to do your radio show from Cleveland for a week. Well, yeah. I mean, I would assume that there would be a per diem that would attach to that because they're sending you. You're on, on the road. Okay. I get all that. I don't expect That anybody would pay me a per diem for saying, Jeff, you live across the street from WTMJ here her thanks for showing up and doing your job. That's what the salary I get is. But yet we pay these legislators who live in Madison a per diem for walking across the street and showing up at work. It is absolutely mind-blowing. And again, I understand in the big picture of the way the state throws around money, it's like, okay, Jeff, so what, what are you talking about, you know, five, ten thousand $10,000? But at the same time, I mean, seriously, you live across the street from where you work. You work, so you walk a block maybe to go to work, and we're paying you a per diem. Only in government would you get something like that. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Mentioned this at the start of the show. If you want to get a head start on where we're going on diff- each different program, you can follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner620. Try to highlight a couple of different things every day that we are going to be talking about together with Lynx. We started off the program, uh matter of fact, talking about this policy out in Madison where the the city and county employees are now going to be able to bring their dogs to work on a regular basis. It's a policy that I think is absolutely insane. Sent out a text about that and included... This is the popular thing for the day. Included a photo of my little dog. People want to know what does Sasha look like? Well, if you follow me at Twitter, Jeff Wagner620, send out one of those photos. She is at her photogenic best about that. If you missed that segment, or if you miss any segment, you can check out our podcast. You simply go to WTMJ.com, check out the mobile app page, and as a matter of fact I just got the numbers from January. We had a big podcast month and I definitely appreciate it. I always know when some people are listening to the podcast because I'll get an email or something at 2.30 in the morning about sometimes it's a topic we talked about on the previous day's show, sometimes it's a topic about a show from a, a week earlier or something, but it's folks that are up at 2.30 in the morning listening to the podcast, and so that's what it's there for, so you can again check that out at WTMJ.com. You know, during uh, her news report, Melissa was talking a little bit about the potential that the Democratic National Convention is going to be held in Milwaukee in 2020. Given the the choices now, I think I would find myself saying I, I kind of agree with Politico. I think Milwaukee probably is the favorite. I mean, there's a number of things that are going on here. First of all, I, I, if this happens, you cannot underestimate the influence of billionaire Bucks owner Mark Lasry, who is a huge Democrat fundraiser. I mean, he was one of the, the big time bundlers for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, huge Huge donor to President Obama and President Clinton. Matter of fact, the Bucks played in Brooklyn last night, and the Bucks ownership was there with Bill Clinton. Everybody sitting courtside, and that, that's just—I I, I mean, my sense is that you know Mark Lazary, again, big Democratic activist, is very, very much behind this bid. He and his son, and 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 that's outstanding. As far as I'm concerned, I think it would be tremendous if Milwaukee were to get the Democratic National Convention. Number one, it puts the spotlight, a national spotlight, on southeastern Wisconsin for essentially a week in the summer of 2020. And I, I think summer is where we, we shine the best. You know, you don't have to worry about freezing rain or polar vortexes. I mean, I think, you know, you, it's just an opportunity to showcase this area at a time when we are at our absolute best. So, I mean, I think that would be a wonderful thing in addition although it's not my side of the aisle, I think it would be tremendous if you have thousands of people that are coming into southeastern Wisconsin and they're here for the convention and they're going to be spending all sorts of money. I went to the Republican National Convention when it was in San Diego in 1996. and It was a great time. And and yes, there's times when you're sitting in the convention hall, but a lot of the times you're out and about in the city and you're enjoying it. So I mean, I think... It would be a huge financial bonanza for all sorts of businesses. Again, forget the politics of this. It's great if you've got thousands of people that are coming into the area. The drawback and the real question is, do you have enough hotel rooms in a reasonable area close enough to the convention center to make it all worthwhile to, so that you can have the delegations not have to travel an hour, for example, to get here. And I guess that's something I, I just you'd have to work out the mechanics of it. In addition, if you look at the two cities that we are up against, one is uh, Miami and one is Houston. There, there are some things that benefit Milwaukee. First of all, have you ever been in Miami or Houston in July? Now, I, look, I love I love Miami. I think Miami's a, a a great great town, but it's really really oppressively hot in summer. The same thing is true for Houston. Houston might even be Miami on steroids to tell you the truth. So the weather's going to be oppressively hot there. In addition, there is the political factor that that does kind of play in. One of the reasons why people choose, why parties choose places to have conventions is they want to, I don't know, they want to try to solidify their holds in particular states. The reality is, okay, you can have a Democratic convention in Houston. Uh, th- whoever is the Democrat running for president is not going to win Texas. You-, you can have as many conventions as you want. Texas is going to be a reliably red state. Miami, well, Florida, Florida tends to be more of a swing state. So Miami and Florida may be more in play. So maybe by going to Florida, you do have the potential of maybe influencing the election in November. But Wisconsin is definitely a state that is in play. As we were saying during the news report, I think Democrats were shocked, 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 shocked that Donald Trump became the first republican since 1984 when ronald reagan ran for re-election to actually win wisconsin i mean I, that was just a complete and total stunner and as you do the postmortem, one of the many factors why donald trump won wisconsin was the fact that hillary clinton assumed that wisconsin was in the bag and she didn't have to campaign here and the, the that that i think was one of the factors that ended up costing him that. So you you can kind of revert that as you look at the electoral map. If the Democrats were able to swing Wisconsin back onto the Democrat side, that would go a long way towards electing whoever the candidate is ultimately going to be. So obviously that's going to be one of the dynamics that's here. But you put all that together, and I think there is a... I think there's a very decent chance that we might end up getting the Democratic National Convention. I don't know that I would have said that six months ago or a year ago, but now, given the different dynamics and given where we are uh, a month a year and a half ahead of the convention I wouldn't be surprised to see them do that. The head of the DNC also has ties to southeastern Wisconsin and so I, I think maybe there's some hometown support that's coming in there. So if there's enough hotel rooms don't be surprised to see the convention here and my attitude is I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. we should welcome all the delegates because they will be spending money somewhere and that's a good thing all right, it's 215. when we come back. What was Neeson, Liam Neeson thinking, if anything? Stick around. Two fifteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's two eighteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As I was saying, keep it tune to WTMJ all day and into the evening. There's um, this freezing rain advisory. Freezing rain is nasty stuff. You, know, you can you can deal with snow. You can deal with cold if you have to. But it's that that freezing rain that just sometimes makes the roadways impassable and makes the sidewalks impossible to walk on. And it it sounds like it's kind of an iffy forecast as to when it might hit and where it actually might hit. So we will continue to keep you updated. I know a lot of people are out and about tonight. I'm going to the Marquette game myself. So uh, if you're out and about, just keep it tuned to WTMJ. We will let you know what is going on. All right, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Liam Neeson. You a fan? You know who Liam Neeson is? You know who he is, and he's all right. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's done just a ton of movies. He really revitalized his career. He's 66 now, and he revitalized... You never thought of him as, as an action hero, but he really revitalized his career a, a number of years back, um, in in the, the Taken movies where, you know, somebody, his daughter is kidnapped and then he goes on sort of um, years and years ago, there was a, a movie called Death Wish, which was uh, starred Charles Bronson. And it was he was kind of like a vigilante. And, and that that started this sort of genre of films. Well, Taken and the, the Taken series is like that. Somebody close to Liam Neeson gets kidnapped, whatever. And, and he goes on this revenge filled effort to try to to recover them, things like that so and it was very very successful he announced a few years ago he wasn't going to do any more taken movies okay so now he's back though he's got a movie that's either i think it's come out already is this in cold pursuit do we know is that out or not it's being released okay and i i've seen the, the trailer for it and it's like it's like taken you know except this is in a it's in like a a cold setting and i i don't know exactly what the plot is but somebody close to him gets taken or kidnapped or or whatever and or killed and he, and he goes on this this revenge filled thing so it's it's the same movie, and it's the same character except with a different name. All right, so that, that's fine. You know, He's recreated himself as kind of this, this action hero. So as typically happens, they send, when the movie is getting ready to be released, they send these stars out to try to do publicity. So he's, he's doing this interview with a reporter from The Independent, who I think is from Australia, but I'm not positive, whatever and they they ask him the question about you know you do all these you do all these roles where the character is motivated by you know revenge and so they ask him the question hey as an actor where where does this come from where 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 do you get this this inner thing to so convincingly play this character that's obsessed with revenge all right now as i often say just because somebody asks you a question doesn't necessarily mean that you have to answer the question. And it doesn't mean that you have to answer the question directly. And it doesn't mean that you have to share everything that you think. Sometimes it's best to leave some stuff unsaid. So, anyhow, they ask him this question, they say, All right, what? Where where do you get where does this motivation that you get come that, that, that plays this 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 character that's so motivated by revenge? And he then launches into this story about something that happened forty years ago. And he pretty much starts it by saying, I'm not a racist. Now let me give you a little bit of advice. Whenever you're going to get ready to tell a story and you have to start out by saying, I'm not a racist, that is probably an indicator that you might not want to tell that story. I'm not a racist, but I was wearing that KKK hood in the photo. I'm not a racist, but I thought it was a good idea to go to the party dressed in blackface. Yeah, it just when you start off, I'm not a racist, but yeah, you might want to rethink this. Well, anyhow, so he, he's telling, and it's a British newspaper. He's saying, okay, well, well, here's here's the deal. I had somebody very close to me that was raped by someone. Who she said was was black, um, she handled the situation of the rape in the most extraordinary way. He said. Um my immediate reaction was, did she know who it was? He says, no. He said, what color were they? She said it was a black person. So then he goes on and tells the story. I went up and down areas with a kosh. That's like a, like a bludgeon, like a stick. Um, hoping I'd be approached by, it's a club-like weapon. I, so I started walking up and down streets with this club, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say I did it for maybe a week, hoping that some black person, although he doesn't say person, would come out of a pub and have a good at me about something you know so that I could kill him <laughs> okay um, I, so essentially he's saying I, I spent all this time walking up and down the streets looking for a black person to murder the the interviewer and I'll give him credit kind of says huh I mean it's just what did you just say and he said no oh, this this is this is it i mean i I remember I'm not proud of this, and I'm not a racist, but yes, I spent all this time walking up and down the street, carrying this club, hoping that I'd be attacked by some black person so I could bludgeon them um to death, <laughs> okay, and he decides to share this story. well, it doesn't go over very well um so now he's in damage control. So he goes on Good Morning America. Uh, it was either yesterday or today. And he says, Well, first of all, I'm not a racist. <clears throat> this was nearly 40 years ago. And he says that I, you know, I don't, I don't exactly understand why I'm getting all this, this backlash uh, about this. He says, You know, we're, we all pretend that we're all kind of politically correct. You know, and sometimes he said I'm 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 just admitting what I what I did here. 414-799-1620. That is the Equinet mortgage talk and text line. I have an open-ended question. All right, is this going to hurt Leon, Liam Neeson moving forward? You have had situations where People have made racially insensitive remarks. Think Roseanne Barr with some bizarre stuff, and it has effectively ended their career. You've had other situations where people have said things and they've been able to fade the heat. How big a deal is this going to be Is this going to be a public relations nightmare, or is this now just going to inspire people to want to go out and see his latest movie? 414-799-1620. I have a theory on this that I will share, and it it might be sort of counterintuitive, but I think I'm going to be right. We'll see. 414-799-1620. How much damage did Leon Neeson do by sharing this story from 40 years ago? 225 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Liam Neeson, probably... Probably best known for Schindler's List, where he played the lead character in that. But he's reinvented his career by being these in these these various action movies, and the plot is all the same. Somebody close to him gets kidnapped, and he goes on this sort of revenge thing. Well, he's telling the story about how, well, I had, you know, 40 years ago, I had somebody close to me that was raped by a black person. And I, I took a club, and I went looking for somebody, hoping that some black person would attack me, and that I could kill him. Huh. And he, the reporter that even asked that kind of looked and said, huh? And, all right, is this going to hurt him or not? Four one four Let's start with Jeff and Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ.
1: Hey, Jeff. I don't think he's going to be completely ostracized like Kevin Spacey was, but even though he did try to immunize himself from being a racist, I do think that his, those were racist statements, and I think he's going to be more like Mel Gibson where his career will take a hit, but he he may get some work.
0: Yeah, you you know, it's interesting, Jeff, that you brought up Mel Gibson because when I read this, that is exactly the situation that I thought of. I right, the, the Kevin Spacey thing—that's a sexual assault situation, which you know it, to me is is different. This is this is Mel Gibson in many respects. This is somebody that's making remarks that are obviously, you know, racist and inappropriate. And and Mel Gibson still has a successful career. He took a hit. But Mel Gibson is back right now. I mean, people go to see Mel Gibson movies. People forget.
1: Yeah, and I think we Liam may maybe be showing up in like some, you know, like directed to video movies and stuff like that, but but it's not like he's going to, you know, completely vanish.
0: Uh thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Kyle in Meskeego. Kyle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey,
2: afternoon.
0: Okay, is this going to be devastating to his career?
2: Yes.
0: Okay. You think people
2: uh he, he's kind of been uh, like a lackluster career as of recently. Uh, You know, his movies have not been as big and he's kind of been just not not doing as well as he used to. And this, with everything else going on, you know, it's socially acceptable or not. I think this might, you know, kind of be like the final nail in the coffin for him. I mean, it's not like he's just going to fall off the face of the earth. I mean, he's still Liam Neeson, but... I think this is going to be a, a a devastating hit.
0: So, do you think the uh, he's got this movie either being released it's being released shortly? You think it's going to bomb? You think people are going to say, "Okay, we're not going to go to this movie be- because of this"? Yeah. Yep. Um no, thanks. Well, I it, you know it'll it'll be interesting. I, here's here's my thinking on this. My guess is short term, short term. This does not hurt him at all. My guess is this movie in cold pursuit opens up, does better business than it was anticipated doing. I I think short term, it's not going to hurt him because there's going to be a curiosity factor uh, about this long term. I think it is going to be sort of like the the whole Mel Gibson approach, and and I think he's got to figure out how to rehabilitate himself. This is another one where, again, just because somebody asks you a question doesn't necessarily mean that you have to answer it. And for everybody out there, and I say this a lot, who says, "Oh, there's no such thing as bad publicity," trust me, there is bad publicity. And whenever you have to start off an answer by saying, "I'm not a racist." Never, ever, it's never, ever going to work out well. I think this movie might do okay. Big picture, though, I I think Liam Neeson's got to figure out a way to rehabilitate himself, and that might take a little bit of time. It certainly took Mel Gibson some time. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Now, you, you might be able to look at, like, politics around here and talk about how the Common Council is dysfunctional or the Milwaukee County Board is just a complete and total train wreck, and you would be right. But I, I at least there is something we can say. At least we're not Virginia. This story out of Virginia just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Now, I think everybody knows that the first part. You've got the the governor of Virginia who's been in office his name is Ralph Northam he's been in office for for a year it surfaces he's a doctor so it surfaces that in his last year of medical school in the the yearbook that the medical school puts out on his page there is a picture that shows one person dressed in Ku Klux Klan hood and another person dressed in blackface at, at a party Right. So this this is leaked to the press. It surfaces. Last Friday, the governor apologizes for the picture, says, says he thinks this is terrible, apologizes, etc., etc., and then doesn't say anything more. On Saturday, the governor has a press conference at which he says he's now had the opportunity to think about this. And he he doesn't think that this is a picture of him, even though it's on. the the page, his page in the the medical school yearbook, and he never saw it, and he has no idea, but now he doesn't think it's him. He does, however, acknowledge that about that same time, he did go to other events dressed in in blackface. Now, as I said yesterday, to me, the interesting aspect of this story isn't, was he wearing blackface or not? It's not... Should he, if he did this back in 1984, you know, now we're talking about, you know, 30 years later or whatever, to me the interesting issue isn't, is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? We've had that conversation a, a lot. Should you be able to do something, you know, really, really stupid and if enough time passes, do you kind of get a pass for that? Is is it fair to go back and say, hey, you did something that was really, really stupid in 1984, but boom, you know, there hasn't been any repeats of this. So that, that to me, that's a conversation we have a lot because these blackface type of photos or other inappropriate photos show up. As I said on the program yesterday, the interesting aspect of the story is this guy initially denied – initially acknowledged – at least tacitly that this was him in a photograph, and then 24 hours later, he's now saying it's not me. Now, friends and neighbors, I, I, I have to tell you something. I mean, okay, I, I'm—I think he's a couple years older than I am, and I don't claim that I remember every costume that I ever wore to every Halloween party, although I can remember a lot of them. But I have to tell you, if I went to a party wearing either a KKK hood because I thought it was clever at the time, and I think even in my youngest days I would have thought that that's probably not funny, or dressed in blackface, I would remember that that was a costume. And that's that's what's so interesting to me about this, that the guy, instead of coming out on Friday and saying, look, I don't know how this photograph got on my yearbook page. I have never seen this. If you never dressed like that, you would know it. And you'd be sitting there saying, this is not me. I don't know how it got on my page, but this is not me. I did not do it. But that's not what his initial response was. His initial response was, gee, I'm sorry about this. Well, I don't know about you, but if you're 60-some years old and somebody shows you a picture of you either wearing a KKK hood or dressed in blackface, and they say, hey, remember this party that you went to when you were in medical school? You would remember if you dressed like that. And if you didn't, your response would be, I don't know where this came from. I have never dressed like that. I've never had this particular costume. But so he acknowledged or at least tacitly acknowledged it was him. Now well I haven't this this isn't me at all. And it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't see how he makes it. Only because he's dug in. He figures I I can weather the storm. The problem is, to me, just like Al Franken. Al Franken had to go. Remember, Al Franken, the very liberal senator from Minnesota, and, you know, with all the Me Too stuff, this photograph circulates before he's a senator of him appearing to, like, fondle some woman's breasts with this, like, leering look. He couldn't survive, not just because of of the photo, but because if the Democrats were going to say, hey, we're... We're better than the Republicans. We're we're the people who are here for the Me Too movement. You, you couldn't have that photograph of Al Franken floating around with Al Franken still in the Senate. I think the same thing is true of this Virginia governor. I think sooner or later somebody's going to force him out because it's going to be look, um, you know, we we're we're supposed to be we are supposed to be the party of of higher intentions, and we're the ones who are just outraged that you've got Confederate monuments that are around and we have all this stuff. I, I just that that issue it, it really is muted if if you still have the virginia governor who is in office so i ultimately think that sooner or later he's going to lose support all right so up until the other day though if he stepped down the lieutenant governor His name is Justin Fairfax would take over. By the way, the lieutenant governor is African American. So that, that was kind of the thinking here. All right. Let's, let's move the blackface wearing governor out. Let's move in the African American lieutenant governor. Well, okay. It's, it's now getting more complicated because the Washington Post and a couple other websites are reporting that, that back in 2004, There's now a woman who says that she was sexually assaulted by the lieutenant governor. And the story is that uh, something definitely happened. The lieutenant governor's story is, um, yes, we had sexual relations, but it was consensual the story that's being reported is that the the accuser is saying it wasn't consensual and he forced me to do this etc etc i have no idea what the truth is i just know that it's a mess because you've got you've got the governor who's accused of this blackface thing who doesn't recall Apparently, you know, first, yeah, that's me. Now he's decided no. Now you've got the lieutenant governor who's got this cloud of suspicion. He acknowledges that there was sexual contact. He says that it was consensual. So you've got this whole, now you've got the Me Too thing. You've got the blackface thing. It is a stone-cold mess for the Democrats in Virginia. I have no idea how this all turns out, but this comes at a time where – Republicans in Virginia were really, really, really on the run now that dynamic is changing in a big way at some point in time. I think that the Governor is going to be forced out of office just because he he 's made himself look foolish and i don 't see how you come back from that. whether the lieutenant Governor ultimately takes office or not or is able to stay in office, given these allegations from two thousand and four that that 's a whole nother question as well but if you thought things if you thought things were active in Wisconsin politics, well, never a dull moment in Virginia. It's 2:44 Jeff Wagner WTMJ. When we come back, the kids were alone but they weren't home. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. <music> 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we only have a couple of minutes, but I, I want to get your reaction to this. Here, here's the deal. Uh, I was I was in Florida on Thursday, but it was still cold on Thursday. It wasn't as cold as Tuesday and Wednesday, but it was still cold, wind chill down to minus 20. 25-year-old guy named Joshua Phillips gets called in for an emergency work meeting. So he's apparently watching his four- and two-year-old kids. And he decides he's going to take them with him. So he drives to downtown Milwaukee. And I think that there's a parking structure that's attached to the 411 building, which is right across the street from the Pfister. And like it's Wisconsin and Jefferson. I I think that's where this parking structure occurs. Um, So he gets to the parking structure to run in for his meeting. He makes the decision that he's not going to take the kids into the meeting. So he decides he's going to leave them in the car. So here's the deal. The kids are two and four. He parks the vehicle in the parking structure at 1157 a.m. He leaves it running. And so the heat is on. So he leaves the car running, uh, and it runs for a while until 1220. At 1220, the brake lights flare, and the vehicle turns itself off. All right, so now you've got the the kids that are in the car. The car has now stopped running. In the parking structure, a security guard tells police shortly before 1230, she hears children yelling from a vehicle, which was unlocked, and now it's not running. So you left them in an unlocked car, and now the the car has has died out or shut off or whatever. So it's 20 degrees below, wind chill, two and a four-year-old kid in the car, it's unlocked, it's not running. All right, this is now 12.30. So the sequence is he goes into the meeting at 11.57, car shuts off at 12.20, 12.30, the security guard finds the kids. He doesn't show up until 1.30. He arrives on the scene, identifies himself as the father, and says, well, I got called in for this emergency meeting. I decided to bring the kids with me and leave them in the car. He also says, well, yeah, I, I knew it was cold out there. I'm, I'm not stupid. He, and that's, that's me editorializing there. <laughs> okay. Um, he's now facing child neglect charges, accused of leaving his two young children alone in the vehicle in these windshields while he attended an emergency work meeting. All right. We only got a couple minutes, so I need you to call quickly. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is this child neglect? I'm sure what the dad would say is, well, I didn't think I was going to be, I didn't know that this was going to last that long. I didn't intend to leave them in a car that didn't have heat. I left the car running. How was I supposed to know that the heat was going to stop after 20, 25 minutes or or whatever? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, does this sound like child neglect to you? And again, this entire incident takes place over about 90 minutes, pulls into the parking structure at, at a little before noon. He goes back to the car. His, his meeting took about an hour and a half, but he left the kids in the car. The car, according to his story, uh, we know the car was, in fact, running for a while before it shut off. 414-799-1620. All right. Does he deserve to be charged criminally? What do you think? And, again, we'll try to get a couple calls in quickly. It's uh, David in Madison. Hi, David. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hi. Good afternoon. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this uh, this person is certainly, um, you know, did, uh, you know, neglect his, his children. Um, you know, he, he had the choice to not go to the meeting. I mean, consequences for his business? Sure.
0: Sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, but, well, well. Okay, let, well, But David, you know, he could have gone to the meeting. But what do you do? You take your kids in. <laughs> what kind of idiot? Yeah. I, I'm, I, no, I'm going to say that. What kind of idiot when it's when it's 20 below wind chill or zero air temperature? What kind of idiot leaves their kids two and four? Unattended in a car in a parking garage, whether the car's running or not. You take your. – all right, I, I, Look, I understand how this can happen, and maybe it is an emergency meeting. You bring your kids in and you yep. put them outside the room. You sit them in a chair and you give them a coloring book or something, don't you? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, bring them with just Don't have a meeting at all. I mean, you know, that is an option to right. say, you know, if he's, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to yeah. do?
1: Right, You I,
0: have
2: to look out for your kids.
0: That's no, number one. Exactly. Yeah. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I guess th- this to me, it's not like there, there's no options that are out. Okay, maybe it is an emergency we- meeting. Your boss says you have to get in. Okay, fine. So so you get in, and then what do you do? All right, well, I've got my two- and my four-year-old with me. You walk into the office or wherever. You put the kids in the waiting area. You put them somewhere. You sit them down. Like I say, you give them a coloring book. You don't leave them unattended uh, the waiting Weather is just an aggravating factor of this. You don't leave your kids unattended for 90 minutes when they're two and four years old in a car in a parking garage, period, much less when it's a 20 below wind chill. Yes. Yes. They should charge him with child neglect. Bill in West Bend. Bill, you're on WTMJ.
2: Yeah, that guy's lucky that something drastically didn't happen to these kids.
0: That the kids didn't freeze to death. Absolutely.
2: It's not only that, Jeff. It's whether it's it's below zero or not. You don't leave those aged kids in a car, period.
0: Unlocked. Either. Unlocked.
2: Unlocked. <laughs> yeah, but do you ever hear of kidnapping? Yeah. I mean, there's people out there that'll kidnap those kids. Sure. I mean, this, and I hope this guy, you know, if his boss finds out, I hope that was a real important meeting because it's a cost of his job.
0: Well, right. I mean, th- again, but it, it's just, I, and I understand, see, look, sometimes I understand that, that certain stuff happens, and I'm the guy who, and I know sometimes you, maybe you disagree with me. I'm the guy who doesn't necessarily think it rises to the level of child neglect. If you park your car outside the mini mart and you run in for a couple minutes to get, you know, to get that, that gallon of milk that you need on your way home and you leave the kids sleeping be in, in the car. I, I think you have to look at these things on a case by case basis. But in this case, two and four years old, It's a parking structure that I believe is attached to the 411 building in downtown Milwaukee. It's 20 below windchill. You leave the car presumably unlocked and running, and you're gone for an hour and a half. I mean, I don't know about you. I'd be worried my, the kids would be gone. The car would be gone. I mean, who does this type of thing when the easy answer is, all right, you've got to take them. I understand the meeting comes up. If you got to go there, you just bundle the kids up. You take them out of the car and you say, okay, sit here. I'm going to go to the meeting. No, this screams. It screams. It screams child neglect. It screams what we used to call felony stupid. I mean, really, how could you do something like this? It's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds. Stick around.